Hi everybody, welcome. Today is the 9th of August, Wednesday the 9th of August, and welcome to the 100 Pounders um, meeting. It's 2023 and today I'm delighted to introduce the lovely John P. John is from Indianapolis um, and he that's where he joined away, still living there, and he'll tell you when he first came to away and I'll hand it over to him now for his experience, strength and hope. Take it away, John. Yeah, can you hear me? Good, good, good. My name is John P. And uh, like Rita said, I'm from Indianapolis, lived in Indiana all my life. Um, before, before I tell you about my story, I'd like to quote something from the big book that I think kind of frames the discussion, um, frames my long lead. This is page 124 of the big book. We grow by our willingness to face and rectify errors and convert them to assets. The alcoholic's past thus becomes the principal asset of the family and frequently is, the, is almost the only one. This painful past may be of infinite value to other families still struggling with their problem. Showing others who suffer how we were given help is the very thing with, which makes life seem so worthwhile to us now. Clinging to the thought that in God's hands, the dark past is the greatest possession you have, the key to life and happiness for others, with that you can avert death and misery for them. I just want to just point out that, that we are all saving lives by sharing our stories in these rooms. And I'm grateful for the opportunity to be able to do that. So let me qualify a little bit. Um, my top weight uh, before entering the, the, the rooms was 538 pounds. And Rita, I think you have my pictures. If you could put them up now, I'd appreciate that. Uh, let me kind of tour, curate them for you a little bit. Yeah, the, the top uh, left hand uh, is me in the orange shirt, and that's my son's high school graduation. Um, I, you can't, maybe you can imagine what, what it feels like to be in that situation and, be, and feel like I was on display, was not present for my son's graduation at all. Um, the, the upper right is, is me with my daughter, and I was using a cane to walk because of my weight. Um, I, of course, I had all kinds of mobility issues. Um, the middle picture, of course, is my 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 kids and myself. And then the bottom two pictures, the one the bottom uh, right is the picture. I, I was just coming off a relapse and I put on about fifty pounds. And the picture on the lower left is me um, nearly back to my goal weight. The last time I weighed, I, moved, I was within five pounds of it. It has taken me four years to lose nearly 50 pounds. And uh, it, is not, it is not easier after you relapse. Um, so um, I, I, that was a good lesson for me to have. I've been in recovery since 12-10 of 2012. Um, like I said, I relapsed about four years ago, adding 50 pounds very quickly to my body. And uh, um, and I always tell people that relapse part of my story. I know that's not the special focus here, but that is part of my story. And I really do, the focus, what I like to do is I like to focus on the spirit, my spirituality as it's developed from either before recovery and after recovery, because my connection to both my higher power and to other people in recovery has been the key to um, maintaining my, my, my weight loss. Um, 
And I really do believe that my relapse started when I started getting cocky and started feeling like I had all the answers. And, uh, you know, I let that bondage itself uh, kind of creep in there a little bit. And if I maintain my spirituality, that doesn't happen. Um, I'm reminded that uh, that, that abs abstinence and recovery is a three-legged stool. It is physical recovery, emotional recovery, and spiritual recovery. Hopefully you will hear the, the emotional recovery and the physical recovery in my talk. Like I said, I'm gonna be focusing largely on spiritual recovery. Um, when I was a child, I had I had a weight problem. I don't know if you, in the school that you uh, went to, uh, for those of you in the US, it'd be grammar schools or elementary schools. Every year we get pictures taken and I found a packet of pictures that my mom had collected from the time I was in kindergarten through sixth grade. And I can just see the, 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 the progression of the illness start, but it seeds there. Um, I was a very anxious child and I, and I, I ate to comfort myself. I'm sure you're probably familiar with the acronym HALTS, H-A-L-T-S, which stands for hungry, angry, lonely, tired, and stressed. Other people add different meanings to that S part, but that kind of covered the spectrum for me. I could add a B to the end of that and say bored. Whenever I was uncomfortable with any situation, I was uncomfortable an awful lot. I turned to food as a way to be able to comfort myself. As, as, as I grew in weight and grew in size, my, I had family members who were concerned about me, friends, colleagues that I worked with. Um, I remember one time my grandfather just said, why can't you put down the fork? Uh, and I had a conversation with him for the longest time. This is before I even knew about recovery. I said, you know, I, I felt like I was, I ate like an alcoholic and I did eat like an alcoholic. Um, I, at the peak of my, my weight and the peak of my disease, I, I ate fast food maybe six times a day. I had, I, I lived on sugar and caffeine. I would hide sweets throughout the house. I would take sweets from my kids. Uh, especially after like Halloween and that sort of thing. Um, I would eat other people's food. Uh, I, I worked as a social worker and would observe families getting together uh, as a part of the reunification process. Parents would bring pizza boxes and pizza and, and other foods. And I volunteered to clean up because I knew that I could eat the stuff in the car on the way home. I stole food from stores and from my boss. That, that's one of the amends I had, had to make. I hid food from others. I ate meals before my scheduled meals. You know, the, the pre-dinner dinner, the after lunch snack. Um, I've heard people say that in OA, I don't, they only ate one meal, and that was that was me. I started at seven and didn't finish until midnight. And uh, I just I ate the day. Um, I often measured and compared myself to other people and often felt like I fell short. So I constantly, and one of the things I'm really grateful for recovery is the body image, relationship and sexuality book, because it has really kind of opened my eyes to um, the importance of self-worth and self-esteem that I lost as a part of a being in, in, in my disease and in my, in my addiction. Um, you know, the thing is, as time went by, uh, I, I tried a lot of ways to be able to, to, to lose weight. I, I tried WW, I tried TOPS, I tried Optifast, I tried AIDS candy. Uh, for those of you who remember that back in the 60s and early 70s, 
slim fast. I mean, any diet you can mention, I had some success with some of those, but I would always put the weight back on plus some. And it, it, it just got to be this grippy yo-yo. I'm sure every single one of you can relate to the yo-yoing that, 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 that um, happens a lot of times with compulsive overeaters. Um, I, I never, I would never consider myself bulimic um, or, or, um, or uh, uh, anorexic in any way, but there was, there was a lot of restricting um, and, and to get down to the weight. And then after I would get down to some, some kind of desirable weight, then I would go and celebrate again. There was really no change in the way that I ate. Um, and so the, the, as time progressed and as my disease progressed and got worse, I would feel hopeless and helpless. And they just gave up, gave up trying. Um, I, th those, those friends that came to me and talked to me even about our way uh, and asked me to join them, I felt resentful and angry towards because I felt like they didn't understand my life. They couldn't live my life. And as a result, I would often tell people to leave me alone and, and raise my middle finger to them to say that you, you have no right to tell me how to live my life. And I, I was just circling the drain. And they were just being concerned, but I couldn't hear it. I wasn't, I wasn't open-minded. I felt like I was terminally unique, which is, a, a, I think, a problem that a lot of us experience. As far as my, my spirituality, my relationship to God, I, you know, I grew up in a Christian home. I grew up, grew up believing in the Christian God. I, I, we, we belonged to an organized church, and we believed as a family that God created miracles in your life that he would do miraculous things, that you prayed hard enough and you believed hard enough. And as a kid, being overweight, feeling, feeling unloved, unwanted, um, neglected, I desperately wanted God to remove that weight. And I prayed to him on several, you know, several occasions, asking him to do that, and he woke up the next day, never, I mean, being disappointed. The weight was still there, the eating was still there. I felt God had, God had abandoned me. The, the OA 12 and 12 talks about a Santa Claus God. You know, if I'm just good enough and just believe in things, uh, and, and if I was faithful enough, I, he would reward me in some way. So when I didn't wake up the next morning, having lost 50 pounds, I, I often believed that it was something wrong with me, that I didn't believe enough and didn't have enough uh, faith. And, and, and that made me angry at God. I was mad. I felt like I had faith, that I got on my knees and prayed and did everything that I could. But that, the funny thing is, me coming to recovery could be a very answer to that prayer. God, God does not operate the way that I, I should expect him to, and he shouldn't necessarily operate the way he should, he should, I should expect him to at that time because, because he disappointed me. He didn't have, make me happy. I, I, I fell away from him. The more isolated I became from God, the more isolated I became from others, and as, as my experience has been my addiction grows in isolation. It grows in the silences, it grows in the, in the dark corners. And I retreated more and more into the dark corners and, and felt, felt sorry for myself. I remember one Christmas, it was a, a really bad Christmas. I had made this beautiful Thanksgiving dinner for everybody. I made five desserts. Now you need to know my kids don't like desserts. My dad will eat a little bit, but those desserts were for me if I were being perfectly honest. But I made five desserts, and I did this wonderful display of food, and they gave wonderful gifts. 
and felt like I didn't get anything back. And I didn't sleep that whole night. I just felt so sorry for myself that, that I didn't think anybody loved me, anybody cared about me. If I died, it wouldn't matter any, to anyone. And from that point forward, I hate to commit suicide. I mean, there was no other way to be able to explain it. I didn't, I didn't even try to stop. I just indulged my, my eating whenever I felt that, felt bad. And food lost its ability to comfort me. It became the source of my misery and suffering. I had placed, I had placed food in the, in the position of my higher power and it, it, it was failing me. And I didn't know what to do. So what happened? That was my life up until, you know, uh, November of 2012. I had a lot, I developed a lot of health problems as a result of, uh, of, of uh, um, my disease. I had uh, leg infections. I, I, I would have fungal infections that would grow in the folds of my skin and they would cause cellulitis. And I would end up having to go to the hospital for a week, being pumped full with antibiotics to combat the disease. And, and, and I'm very fortunate I didn't develop blood clots, but it's very dangerous. Those infections were very dangerous. I developed diabetes. I would have to take the insulin when I would go into the hospital and I'd take, take oral medications outside, but it, 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 di diabetes was slowly, slowly killing me. I had limited mobility. I couldn't walk very far. Uh, if I would go to the store, I always had a scooter that, that I rode to be able to get my groceries. I used my kids as my legs be able to go get things for me. Um, the, the, the shameful thing about that is that people don't acknowledge, people did not acknowledge me when I was in that scooter. I was a non-person to those people. Um, I had a bleeding ulcer as a result of taking over-the-counter painkillers. And, uh, uh, and I had knee problems. I had bone spurs on my knees now as a result of the weight that I carried for a long period of time. So I'm, I was slowly drifting towards dis, disability and death. Um, so here I am in the hospital for the, for the umpteenth time. I, I, I lost count of how many times I was treated for my leg. I had a leg infection and I had a, a bleeding ulcer uh, because I would take a leave to deal with the, the, the aches and pains in my body. And I had to have two pints of blood infused into me. Um, and shortly before I entered the hospital, my boss had pulled, pulled me aside to talk to me about whether or not I could do my job because of my weight, because of the difficulty of walking around and, uh, and getting in and out of tight spaces. That was humiliating. Like I said, I lay there in the hospital bed. I was afraid I might die or become permanently disabled. I worried my mother, my kid. I had become overly dependent on my kids and felt like I had created some codependence on, on, on their, their part. I was angry at my dad who lived with me at the time. He was an angry man all the time and I was lonely. I had hit bottom. I, I just remember laying in that bed saying, I am an addict. I am an addict. I'm addicted to food. I can't stop eating. And you know, I immediately felt relief in that, in that acknowledgement. That was, that, was my, that, that was my come to Jesus moment. You know, that's that's when I felt my higher power talking to me and saying that I needed to be, I, I needed to do something. I didn't know what to do next. You know, um, I had I had somebody once ask, uh, what, what, when do you know you've hit bottom? And the response I heard was when you stop digging. And I'd certainly stopped digging, but I didn't know what the next thing to do. I dug so much that I was, I was 
Don't know if I knew what to do, but I knew that my boss was in 12-step recovery and different fellowship. And I was good friends with her. So I called her and I said, I realized I'm an addict to food. I don't know what to do. You're in a 12-step fellowship. Can you help me? She called somebody that she knew that was married to somebody in OA and that, that he asked his wife to contact a man in OA uh, who called me in the hospital. And for the next three weeks, before I'd even gone to my first meeting. Don, that's 15. Thank you. Thank you. We spent, we spent many days talking on the phone. Not every day, but most days talking on the phone. He would listen. I would talk about my experience. And I would talk about how much I needed to be in OA and how much I needed recovery. I didn't meet him until my first meeting after I got discharged from the hospital. It was shortly before Christmas. I'd gone to my, uh, gone to my first meeting in the middle of the, the December. And uh, it was on the actually, well, I saved my, my start date, or my absence date is December 10th. But my first meeting was sometime in the middle of December towards before Christmas. And I don't, I don't remember anything that was talked about. I remember it took me, I had to stop three times on the way to the room to catch my breath. And when I sat in the room, they had to pull a piano bench into the room because I couldn't fit in any of the seats. I, I felt mortified. I felt like I, I didn't know what I was doing. But until the, when the meeting was over, I remember so many people coming up to me and hugging me and, and telling me that they're grateful for me to be there. And I thought that's a, that I had not been treated like this in such a long time. And it was, you know, one of the things I realized is that I couldn't love myself and, and I, needed, I needed to feel like I was loved and accepted somewhere and OA did that for me. My sponsors did that for me. Other, other fellows in recovery did that for me. They loved me when I couldn't love myself until I could love myself. Um, so what about my relationship to my higher power? I really feel like that the way that it came in OA was a higher powered thing. However, uh, in, in the 12 and 12, it says, some of us walked out of our first meeting when we heard the three-letter word mentioned and didn't return until years of more compulsive eating that made us de desperate. That's from page, uh, the 12 and 12. I don't have the page number here. I mean, that certainly was my experience. When we started talking about God, I was angry talking about the, the second and third step. And, and I, I let my, so talked to my sponsor about that. But the important thing was, is I talked about that and, I, and he listened to me and he guided me. And the more I, I, I talked about it, the more I was able to do it was to believe in a higher power as, as if that he existed. Um, I didn't know if he existed. I didn't know if he cared about me. But I had a sponsor once tell me, and I think this is from uh, the big book, open-mindedness is the beginning of spirituality. I had to open my mind and I realized I need to be teachable. I didn't, the, my best thinking had gotten me into the hospital. It got me nearly, um, I, I, I nearly killed me. And uh, I need, I need to be humble. And I need to be, have, a, have an open mind about that. So the, the next, my next experience with, with my higher power in the room is, is, is God in the skin. I, 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 I felt connected to a community of people who believed after being so isolated and being alone for such a long period of time, being with people who, who had, had hope, who believed that they could recover, that things, things happened for them. I saw amazing things happen in people's lives and felt like if that worked in their lives, this could help, help me with my life. I no longer felt that things wouldn't work for me. 
Um, I worked the steps as a path to connecting to my higher power and <clears throat> working my recovery. And I continue to work the steps. The steps are an invaluable tool for me to be able to connect to my spirituality. If I'm not working the steps, I'm not doing a very good job of working my program and my chances of relapse and, and, and letting go of what God has given me so far it is highly possible. I've, uh, um, got, I, I believe in the God of the rearview mirror. Um, I, I, I've not had I, I've not had too many burning bush experiences. I've had more uh, spirituality of the educational variety, as Bill Bill W talks about. But I have had so many things happen to me that that have been unexplained, and that have worked out in the ways that 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 I had didn't didn't expect, but worked out for my benefit. That I. I can't doubt that there is a power or force or, or something in, in the universe that, that has been there for me. And that, that if I tap into that power, that power helps me to recover. I had to quit the debating society. The, 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 uh, the um, 12 and 12 says on page 13, I meant we were, it meant we were free to set aside theological arguments and examination Examine the idea of spiritual power in light of our own desperate need and the, the help, need for help in our lives. I'm sorry, I didn't read that very well. Let me read that again. It meant we were free to set aside theological arguments and examine the idea of spiritual power in light of our own desperate need for help in our lives. My HB does not need to be clearly defined or connected to an organized religion for it to work for me. Some aspects of my higher power always remain a mystery to me. I spent so much time living in my head that I needed to have reasons and arguments to support why God existed. I no longer feel like I need to have that. I have experienced miracles in my life as a result of believing in a higher power and being connected to a community of, of people who, who, who believe in a higher power and, and, and that power leading to recovery. So what miracles have I seen in my life? Well, the first one is I've lost and maintained a, maintained a loss of over 300 pounds for, 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 for at least the last four years, if not longer. I did take back 50 pounds of that, and I've been slowly giving that back. Um, but, but I track my weight, and one of the things that, that I noticed over the last trends years, uh, it's a flat line. You know, I, I vary within about five pounds of my 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 goal weight uh and i've done that i've never done that i've never lost weight and kept it off and for the for i expect to keep this off for the rest of the rest of my life as long as i work my program that's a that's a real miracle for me and a meaningful miracle for me um i reconciled with my father before he died the funny thing about that is my dad didn't change he was an angry man he blew up at me all the time i was scared i always felt like i walked on eggshells with him and I, and I felt like I, I hated him. I never thought that I would mourn his death. And the funny thing about working the steps is I started to see myself differently in relationship to him. And I came to appreciate who he was and the challenges in, in him doing the best he possibly could. And that's a, that was a real miracle. I cried for my dad when he passed away. And I never thought that would, that would happen. And I, I think of him fondly now. And I think of the things that he's done for me that were, that were very positive things. And I'm grateful for that. I reconciled with my first wife. I, I was so angry and resentful towards her because I felt like she stole my family from me. 
And, and this was a result of doing working the fourth step, realizing my part and being able to admit to her and, and to seek um, her forgiveness for the things that, that I'd done to her in our marriage. It restored my relationship to my children. One of the things that happened before um, I entered recovery is my son sat down. He was of college age, getting ready to go graduate high school and going to college. He sat me down and he said, Dad, I don't know if you're going to be able to take care of yourself while I leave, when I leave. And the whole, the whole notion that my son would worry about going off to have his own life because I couldn't take care of my mind, take care of mine was humiliating to me. And I'm so grateful that I can take care of myself and, and, and with the help of others, I can't do this by myself, but I'm so glad that, that I, my, my children are my children. They're not my servants. They're not my legs. They're not, they're not, they're not things for me that I, that I can do for myself. I found love in marriage and recovery. I've been married now. Uh, oh gosh, my, my wife is gonna kill me for, I got married in 2016. So coming up in seven years, really grateful for that. Recovery has helped me all along to retrain myself and help me know how to be a better husband. I'm not perfect. She will tell you that. And I'm proud of the fact that I'm not perfect, but I'm growing in that area. It, it helped me to overcome cancer. A day after I got married, diagnosed with acute leukemia. And for the, the next, I'm in remission, thank God. Um, but but it, during the time I received chemotherapy in the hospital, people would come and visit me. People would pray for me. We would have meetings in my room as a result. If I couldn't get to a meeting outside, people would bring meetings into our room. It was so funny to see 15 people sitting around us, a cramped little hospital room, and the nurses not bothering us, knowing exactly what's going on in that, in, in that room. It was such a, such a dear and sweet thing for people to do for me. Uh, Within the last four years, I've been diagnosed with Parkinson's disease, and that's been a real struggle for me. But recovery has helped me to be able to, to deal with my limitations and, and to know that my life still has meaning and I still have purpose, even though I can't do the things that I normally could do before. I know on two occasions, OA and recovery have saved my life. It saved my life. When that's five minutes. Thank you. It saved my life when I lost the weight the first time and I entered into, into a coma as a result of my chemotherapy treatment. And it saved my life there because if I had weighed 500 pounds, I definitely would have died. And I, but, it, but OA and recovery continue to help me save my life on a daily basis. I can't, I can't keep my recovery unless I give it away. What the big book says on page 85 is that the fitness of my spiritual, it is easy to let up on our spiritual program of action and rest on our laurels. We have headed, we are headed for trouble if we do, for alcohol, food is a subtle foe. We are not cured of alcoholism, compulsive overeating. What we have is a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. Every day is a day when we must carry the vision of God's will into all of our activities. I'm so grateful that. I have a spiritual program that helps me keep me on track. If, if I don't maintain that spiritual program, I don't maintain my recovery, it's the first thing to go. And, and, and sometimes the last thing for me to develop. And, and it, is, it is a lesson for me to know that my higher power is still there. 
Our very lives as ex-problem drinkers depend upon our constant thought of others and how we may help meet their, meet their needs. That's from the big book, page 20. Service is and sharing my story and even doing things like putting away chairs or helping to host a virtual meeting all help me focus on my recovery. It helps me stay humble, helps me to be, to be the person that my God, my higher power wants me to be. I, I offer to do service to help save the lives of others. I remember doing a talk for, for, another, for another meeting and somebody said in the comments that they had found hope that day. That was thrilling to me, that if I can give somebody hope through sharing my story, the recovery and miracles can happen in their lives. I'm grateful for that. The last thing I'd like to do to end my talk is, is to recite the third step prayer because it sums up exactly how I feel about my spirituality. God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties that victory over them may bear witness to those who I would help of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. May I do thy will always. Amen. Thank you again for letting me share my story with you. I'm so grateful to be here. And with that, I'll pass. Oh, John, thank you for that message of depth and weight. I'm just going to read a little bit out of the big book as well. On page 288, it's a story called The Missing Link. It says it wasn't easy and it has never been easy, but it gets so much better. Since that first meeting, my life has completely changed. Three months into the program, I started college. While many of my college classmates were experimenting with alcohol for the first time, I was off at meetings and AA get-togethers, becoming active in service work and developing relations with God, family, friends and loved ones. I rarely thought twice about this. It was what I wanted and needed to do. Over the last seven years, nearly everything I thought I could, everything I thought I could not stay sober through has happened. Indeed, sobriety and life are full of ups and downs. 